how do you know that you're really watching an 80s movie? And I don't just mean you popped in a movie from the 80s, but a movie that just screams 80s. Absolutely the clothes. Uh, they're going to be rocking the neon. They've got to have big hair, and I mean big hair. Your teenage characters, which is going to be 90% of your cast, is going to have posters on the walls of other teenage characters in probably, other movies. Probably posters of Rob Lowe. Oh, that's a little weird. Uh, other than that, I mean, uh, the music. We're talking about synth-heavy soundtrack. And if at some point in your movie, your characters are going to be listening to live music. Probably on a beach or a party or some sort of boardwalk. It's going to be one hell of a musical sequence. And if they're not rocking out on a synth, this, this man, this oiled-up, greasy man. He's going to be playing a sax. On a boardwalk. Oh, it's going to be a sexy sax man. There was a lot of boardwalk porn in this movie. There's a lot of boardwalk in this that, movie. That's not like porn porn. I mean, like, there's a lot of shots of this boardwalk. <laughs> hey, by the way, we're watching The Lost Boys. Thanks Tonight for we watch 1987's Lost Boys. Welcome to the Out of Sync Podcast. Welcome to Serial. This is a podcast, one story told week to week. (laughs) No, in fact, welcome to the Out of Sync podcast. And if you got that serial joke, then congratulations. You are in our target audience. You've listened to a podcast before, which is really all we're asking for. (laughs) Oh my goodness. This is already not a good start. No, that's fine. I I do not mind this start at all. Um, It may help help <laughs> it might help ease someone into into what we're doing here welcome to episode one what? of out of sync is this one? i'm going to count the, the our previous attempts as episode zero i think that's fair they're bonus episodes so this is our first episode where we actually are coming in with a plan we have a plan we have we have we have notes we had notes before but we have <laughs> We have real notes here with uh, with outlines. I, I feel like we're I keeping took more... track of how much time we're actually taking, and yet we are really spending a lot of time trying to even get into part one here. Yeah, this is um, this is interesting. <laughs> anyway, if you're still with us, thank you for listening. I'm Steve Shannon. I'm Jonathan LeDuc. and this, of course, is Out of Sync, where we uh, drink and watch movies. And John, what are you drinking tonight? Tonight, I started with. A Merlot, but what makes this Merlot interesting, it's by Vampire Vineyards, which is out of California. It was a 2013 Merlot. I don't have much more to say about it. It was rather inconsequential. Uh, I bought two bottles because I thought one bottle wasn't going to make it. I was right, but I, I don't have the heart to drink the second bottle because it's... It's not much of a it's not much of a wine. So if you see this particular bottle of wine, what would you tell people? If you're looking for a cheap bottle of wine <laughs> just to enjoy with maybe some food, it's fine. It's a Merlot. It's it's kind of what you expect out of Merlot. There's not much to it. I had an aerator set up and I ran it through the aerator to try and get rid of some tannins. Drank it, didn't taste like much, decided to try it without the aerator, tastes exactly the same. Why is that? Because there's not much flavor to it. It's- All right. And for me, I'm actually, 
I saw a, uh, a beverage by one of my favorite breweries for tonight, uh, by Lagunitas Brewery out of Chicago, Illinois, and they happen to have a limited release, which I figured would be perfect for tonight. It's called Nighttime, and it is brewed with pretty much the darkest colored hops and the darkest colored malts that they could find. Darkest colored hops, you say? They, it's what was in the description. Okay. Yeah, it was in the description that they found dark colored hops for this. And it is a very dark colored beer, but uh, again, I reiterate with every time I drink a dark colored beer, dark does not necessarily mean big and thick and heavy like your Guinness or your other types of uh, stouts. Or it, This is actually an ale. It's a dark colored ale, and it is delicious, as many things that Lagunitas does are. So here, here's my question, Steve. Yes. Why are we drinking these particular beverages? Well, you're, <laughs> come on, you're, you're drinking something by Vampire Vineyards. If it's not obvious at this point, then, yeah, we're, we're our audience is dumb. Yeah, what do we watch no, tonight? No, I'm, I'm kidding. You are all super intelligent people, and we love you, and thank you for listening. We're off to a great start. I know. We're doing, we're doing fantastic tonight. Tonight, we're watching a movie that I probably watched about 16 years ago, I think, and I remember fondly, and I'm trying to decide whether or not I, uh, it lived up to that expectations. Uh, tonight we're viewing Lost Boys, the 1987, 1987 Joel Schumacher masterpiece. I, when Lost you Boys. said Joel Schumacher into this, my heart both did a leap of joy and it sunk incredibly. Uh, both uh, because it, it, it was happy because I knew I could make fun of Joel Schumacher if uh, of you know ruining Batman fame. And uh, also it sunk because I realized I was going to have to sit through a Joel Schumacher movie. I have to assume most people listening to this are familiar with Joel Schumacher, mostly as the man who put nipples on the bat suit. And, uh, and sadly, that's what he's probably going to go down in history as. He's going to go down in history as the man who made Batman and Robin. And regardless of what other merits any of the other films he's made, that's probably what most people think of when but, they think of Joel Schumacher. But to be fair, Lost Boys was very competently done and it was it was a very it was a competent film well done movie if you didn't know it was made by joel schumacher you might not realize it was made by joel schumacher other than the sexy sax man and the shirtless young men which is really just a reminder that yes this movie is very much uh, set in the 80s uh. i would like to point out that at the top of my notes i have written in big letters and underlined it's the 80s. Was that before or after the shirtless man with the saxophone appeared? It was probably right about that time. All right. Um, so, Lost Boys. What is Lost Boys? Lost Boys is a horror film. Is it? It's rated R. It's listed as a horror film. I'm not really sure where the R rating comes from. Maybe 1987 had some stricter rules about saying the word I think shit-sucking is the worst swear that you hear in the movie. I mean, there's a little bit of gore, but by today's standards, it's almost comical. The kind I think of gore. by today, this would be at least PG-13, if not maybe PG-13. PG-13. Yeah, for, by far. But we, we are introduced at the beginning of this movie. Well, actually, let me. There, there's a lot of setup going into this movie, and it was very competently done. Uh, we start off on the boardwalk. At, like every scene starts in this movie, it starts on the boardwalk. And, and we are introduced to our antagonist, question mark? I guess we get Kiefer Sutherland. Well, it's our title characters. They're the Lost Boys. And we get a lot of parallels between Peter Pan, Lost Boys, and all that. Uh, they start off in a merry-go-round, and we get introduced to Kiefer Sutherland. Who is not saving us from the terrorists this go-around. No. 
Now, Kiefer Sutherland, we are made well aware of that. He is probably a bad dude. Yes, with his bright blonde hair and scruffy face. And we are also uh, privileged to information that there are a lot of missing people and murders yeah, in though our that, that comes a little... That's post-title sequence, I would say. This, I, it's going on during the title sequence. In the, in the pre-title sequence. There's a weird breakup of credits in the yeah. beginning of this movie. I'd say pre-title sequence, we're introduced to the Lost Boys, the four vampires that haunt the boardwalk on a merry-go-round. <laughs> and that is Keith or Sutherland, a, uh, a guy who looks like a model from the 80s. One guy who's really forgettable. And then... And then Bill, Alex Winter. Who, you, if you don't know Alex Winter, all you William know... William S. Preston Esquire. Who is hopefully going to be coming back in a uh, reprisal of his most famous role. Very Bill soon and Ted 3, we can only hope. Anyway, immediately after being introduced to our Lost Boys, we meet our main characters. Which, uh, of course, is the security guard. What? No. Security guard is immediately dispatched within the first scene. I mean, that's just, to establish the fact just, that... Just to establish the fact that we have... We're in, we, these are dangerous people. We don't want to be confused by who we're dealing with. Absolutely. Um, so then, uh, oddly enough, the credits pick up again just to establish the fact that no this was more of a introduction to the movie and now we're getting it, into it, the it's movie. kind of a cold open okay. kind of okay okay that, that's it's, fair it's only it's a pre-credit sequence so we are introduced to our main characters which consist of diane weist jason patrick one of the corys and Corey Haim. <laughs> Speaking of the Corys, I would like to point out that Corey Feldman is the first credited person. Oh, that was weird. Yeah. Okay, we're going to get into the Corys in a second because I know that's a very important point that you kind of looked into while we were watching this. Uh, but the other character we were introduced to is uh, Michael. Michael, played by Jason Patrick, who and is everyone's favorite, everyone's second favorite star of Speed 2. <laughs> and the only reason why I would introduce this man as Michael is because... The name Michael in this movie is probably said about 50 or 60 times. Uh, everyone, every single character has to say Michael at least five times in this movie. And no, I can't even remember the names of most of the other characters. I only remember Keith Sutherland's name is David. Yes. And I only remember that because Jamie Gertz's character's name Star, and I thought Star of David was supposed to be okay. some sort of allegory or, or some sort of reference to the Bible. I'm not really sure. So after introduction to our characters, it is quickly established that we are in a place where people... People go missing a lot. A lot. We know the the back of the Santa Carla sign, which is this the name of the town that they're moving to, someone has graffitied murder capital of the world, but it doesn't seem like there's so many murders as there are missing people. So after we are introduced to our characters, um, we have kind of the, the first meeting for everyone. We have, well, the brothers, they go to, of course, the, the boardwalk, boardwalk, where they uh, immediately are fixated with uh, shirtless, sexy sax man. Oh, yeah. I think that is the exact 10-minute point of the movie. I checked. 10 minutes into the movie. Okay. Well, we meet uh, sexy sax man and yeah, sexy Sexy sax man who is oiled up. And ready to go. And I was gonna rocking. get. I was gonna get off of the saxophone man, but I'm. I I, I can't get off this. <laughs> you <laughs> this. need to stop before you say something you are gonna regret, and I'm gonna make fun of you forever. I would like to point out that the trailer. We watched the trailer before we watched the movie. Oh, it was the first shot. The first shot of the trailer is sexy sax man. You know what you're getting into if you watch the trailer. 
it's a movie about Are, a sex whoa, scene. I, you know, I got to get back to the trailer because I'm going to ask this question now. Do you really know what you're getting into by watching that trailer? I have no idea what movie I'm watching just by the trailer. It's all over the place a little bit there's they have the few moments of humor in the movie are all in the trailer uh minus the last line which we will eventually get to uh there's a lot of sexy sax man right off the bat well then it just lays out the plot for you and just kind of lays out the plot of the lost boys vampire santa carla and it has what i want to get into which is the introduction uh, or the meeting rather of our characters we have michael meeting star uh, who i don't know i did not know she was named star until much late until David uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character called her Star, which was a couple minutes after her introduction. I still don't know what two of the vampires' names are. I do know that Alex Winter's character's name was Marco. And that's really only because you were paying attention to see what his name was. I'm yeah, sure they I, may have said the other vampires' names. Maybe, but I was looking for Alex Winter's name, and he was named Marco. Kiefer Sutherland was named David. I don't know what Diane Weiss's name was. Mom. Ed Herman's <laughs> name was Max. Corey Feldman is Edgar Frog, and his brother is Alan Frog. But we didn't know that until well over an halfway hour through. and plus into the movie after they've been in ten different scenes. We are introduced to these uh, these Frog brothers in kind of an interesting way. It kind of establishes, I guess, what our our main character question mark Sam. I, well, yeah, but is he the main character? Or is who, Michael the main character? Who goes through a an arc? Does anyone go through an arc? Uh, Star? I don't know. Oh, Star's the main character. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, but our, no. Who is our protagonist in this film? I think it's supposed to be Jason Patrick, Michael. He's he does he's the only one who changes throughout the film. <laughs> I would argue. That's fair. And I don't mean into right. a vampire. But then also his younger brother, Sam, who is actually the one who has to deal with his brother being turned into a vampire. He is fairly heroic throughout the film. Absolutely. But and he is also coached uh, in the ways of vampire hunting. By Corey Feldman and some other actor who I don't know. <laughs> the Frog Brothers. The Frog Brothers. So in our, in our movie, now that we've established that um, Michael is you know going off with the Lost Boys and our our young our young Corey is going in you know inter, you know oh, the vampire you hunters know, you know who we forgot about who did we forget about Laddie we didn't did we really forget about Laddie we forgot about Laddie which is a I, I you know I was, Laddie is a small child who is clearly a vampire or at least a halfway towards being a vampire who I am convinced in the original script was a dog I feel like we could have gone through this whole thing without mentioning Laddie I think Laddie is the most inconsequential character. I think in most scripts, it would have been a puppy that they had to save. <laughs> he has no lines. He's there to be protected by Michael slash Star. Now, to be fair, in my research uh, before watching this movie, I did discover that the original script had all these characters as eight-year-olds. So perhaps you're right, and Laddie was a puppy. And it would have been be. a perfect children's movie. Yeah. Because really, the only thing that separates this movie from a children's movie is a guy getting his face melted off. Joel Schumacher is clearly interested in, in showing off the male form, which he could not have done were they eight-year-olds. Uh, there's more... For an R-rated movie, I was expecting some degree of, of nudity at some point. Or at least one F-bomb. Or, yeah, an F-bomb, some maybe, degree of nudity. You know, maybe I'll some, get a little more gore. Maybe it's just the what, I funny. have expectations when it I see glittered. an R. 
Yes. When they blew up a vampire, it sparkled. The the we blood both laughed our butts the off. The blood of the vampire is covering the Frog Brothers. They run out into the sunlight and they are covered in sparkles. Why are they? Why are they? Why do they have to kill a vampire? What? What? What is our our turning point in this movie? What happens? Because we skipped over it. We, okay, we went off track. We we went off track. We had a plan. We were going to do a little synopsis. So let's let's back up a little bit. Why did the Frog Brothers get covered in vampire glitter? So what happens is Michael. I, normally, I would use the actor's name, but they use the name Michael so much. I it's just stuck in your head. It's now, stuck it? in my head. Michael Jason Patrick becomes enamored with Star, who's played by Jamie Gertz. Both of which were fresh off of Solar Babies at the if time. If you have never seen Solar Babies, don't worry. Don't You're worry. Not missing You're not much. missing much, except for the introduction of a very young Luke Haas. Oh, geez, yeah. Yeah, that's young Luke Haas. Wow, I forgot about that. Yep. Um, oh. Might be one of his first films. He's pretty young in that. So this movie um, follows Michael and his younger brothers. They're dealing with Michael suddenly being turned into a vampire. Michael goes off with, well, Michael trying to get in Star's pants, finds himself embroiled in a group of young vampires, Kiefer Sutherland, Alex Winter, and the two other guys, whose names we don't know. (laughs) They bring Michael to their lair, which is an old resort that an earthquake has somehow put underground. I liked that as a lair. I thought it was It was a cool little lair. It has a big, giant Jim Morrison poster slash painting on the wall. And it is up to Sam and the Frog Brothers to deal with this vampire problem seemingly on their own. Yeah, Michael drinks some sort of wine slash blood. It's not a very thick blood serum. Uh, Michael drinks that and becomes a vampire. Ooh. He suddenly decides that he doesn't like milk. <laughs> and that's how you know when someone's a vampire. But, you know, by the end of this movie, they off the, the head vampire and... You know, the characters who you're rooting for get to turn back into humans, including Laddie. Laddie. I'm sorry for mentioning Laddie. I knew I wasn't going to. Yes. So the Laddie, Jamie Gertz, and Jason Patrick's character, I don't even know who played Laddie, some <laughs> child actor, they all revert back to human after we've gone through a whole bunch of red herrings, which turn out not to be red herrings. And, of course, <laughs> my favorite, the Chekhov's bathtub. Because you, you can't have a major bathtub-related death in a film without first establishing that the house has a bathtub. <laughs> so we need an entire scene with Corey Haim taking a bath. Oh, of course. Um, but anyway, it's, it's not horribly complicated as far as films go. It's pretty straightforward. It's very 80s. Yep, there's a lot of... Ed Herman as it turns out to be the bad guy, which spoiler alert. Uh, wow, well done on that alert before you Yeah, I, I should everybody. probably work on that. But you're told for about the first forty minutes of the movie that Ed Herman is the bad guy, then you're told he's not the bad guy, and then at the twist at the end He was totally the bad guy. Ed Herman's the bad guy. <gasps> Richie Shock. Rich's dad is the bad guy. That's that's the one that got me when you said, Hey, by the way, that's Richie Rich's father. Yep, the Macaulay Culkin, Richie Rich, huge hit that I'm sure everyone watched as kids. And that was the only thing that I could really think of that he was in, but then you listed off a bunch of other things that our, our boy played, Ed was in. He played Roosevelt. He was the voice of the History Channel during a lot of its early years. Been in many, many things. Um, what was the other one you mentioned? Nova! Nova, yeah, he was the voice of Nova for a while. Man, oh man. So, you know, he's, he's gotten around, and, you know, he... Uh... This movie, I would... Oh, jeez, this... 
This movie was the start of lots of careers, wasn't it? It's got a lot of people that go on to a lot bigger things. I mean, obviously, Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. I would say most notably Kiefer Sutherland, but also the Corys. This is the first Corys movie. That blew my mind. 1987 is the first Corys movie. So, obviously, we have a younger brother in this movie, uh, Corey, <laughs> Corey Haim, and uh, frog brother number one. Edgar Frog. Who's always talking a little like Stallone. Which uh, is played by Corey Feldman and probably a setup for what would probably be his audition for um, Raphael, the Ninja Turtle. Donatello. Here's the thing. I believe, based on the voice that he did in this movie, he wanted to be Raphael. But he's Donatello. He was Donatello. And I don't know how you could ever imagine he's anyone other than Donatello. And you, I mean, I from two things. One, we are introduced to the character. He's wearing a red headband around his head. Granted, they're also, both bro- Frog Brothers are dressed quasi-military-esque. That guy wanted to be a Ninja Turtle so bad. Yeah. <laughs> it was just a glimmer in, in someone's eye at that point. I'm a, little, I'm a little shocked that this is the starting point for the two Corys, because um, the Frog Brothers in this movie, they were really kind of like, this weird little comic relief type characters. Yeah, and uh, I made a that... point of this during the movie that I'm never really clear how much they actually know about vampires and how much they're just BSing Corey Haim's character to try and kind of just be friends with him. There's a lot of times where Corey Haim walks in and says something and he looks down and they look at each other and give themselves a look like, Oh holy shit! This is real. And then Corey Haim looks back to them, and they're they're back to stone face. Being, well, of course that's what happens. They're vampires. But yeah, I mean, for someone obviously saw this movie and said, you know what? We got to put these two kids in some more movies. Those two kids, <laughs> they look like fast friends. Let's put a movie together called License to Drive and put both of them in it. Uh, that in like two or three other movies that they were both in. There are quite a few. Oh and no, no. There was. Well, yeah, to be I, fair, I, I hate to admit that I've seen far too many Corey to be fair, movies. There, there is, there's this thing that studios do where they try to latch on to what was it that made this movie successful? Why did this movie make money? Or why did this movie not make money? And oftentimes they fixate on one weird little thing. As in the Mars Needs Moms yes. corollary? Can we, I want to get... Yeah, we got to talk about this. Damn okay. it. All right. The so, famous, The most famous example that I can think of is the movie... Based on the no- series of novels by Edgar Rice Burroughs, most commonly known as John Carter of Mars, and then the sequels, uh, well, the first movie, uh, the first book, I believe, is A Princess of Mars. So um, Disney has the rights to do these movies. They have the rights to the characters, they have the rights to do everything, and they put together not a great, but probably a solid movie. Called... A movie that probably should have made some sort of money right. if and... they had... Probably not made promoted for the worst, it. Probably not made for the worst summer of Taylor Kirsch's life. He was in every movie that year, and they bombed so every hard. one this of them one bombed. Could have done okay, uh, except Disney had some marketing trouble. Yeah, they decided that the movie Mars Needs Moms, which I believe was an animated film that I'm, I'm not, I haven't seen. No, you are correct. Uh, it failed because of the word. Mars in the title. Or at least that's what the executives at Disney believed. So they immediately had to separate themselves from all things Mars. So People in this case, hate Mars. So in this case, we can't call this movie John Carter of Mars. We'll just call it 
John Carter. Everyone would know what that means because everyone's a huge John Carter fan. Right? 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 No. No. I I have actually read the John Carter series, and every time someone says the name John Carter in reference to the movie, I often don't remember what it is. <laughs> so that's a, an example of a, of a studio taking something, fixating on it, and being like, we got to stay away from it. In this case... Somehow someone said, hey, we got to put these two kids in some more movies. Yeah, lots of movies. And, but, you know, to be together. fair, they probably were all excited about it because of how much money uh, Lost Boys made uh, compared to its budget. This was a eight or nine million dollar film. Eight and a half million, according to Wikipedia, and it made thirty two million dollars. So this was a success. And in know, today's market, that might have been considered a bit of a failure. But you probably wouldn't have wouldn't make a movie for only eight and a half million uh, these days, I think a movie like today films are eight million yeah. these days. Oh, it's awful. Getting beyond the point, um, I'd like to know kind of how Joel Schumacher even made, got this film made because the movie he made before this was Saint Elmo's Fire, which is a pretty famous flop. I believe a lot of it has to do somehow he is he somehow he's friends with uh, Donner. I don't know if he's friends with, but Donner was the executive producer on this film. I, I feel like there was a lot of collaboration between these two. Donner in this, you know... Is, Donner doesn't strike me as a hands-off producer. Absolutely not. Um, he is coming off... Uh, not coming off of, but he is, at this point in his career, very famous for making the Christopher Reeves Superman movie. Granted, that was almost 10 years ago at that point. So that's like 78. That was 10 years ago at yeah. this point. Wow. And he had been fired from the sequel by that point. How did this movie get made? Yeah, how did this wow. movie get made? Someone was really confident in this vampire script and this former costume designer directing it. <laughs> and, you know, it, it's not like at this point vampires were a sure thing either. Um, I mean, today... You put vampires in a movie, you're guaranteed at least a couple million dollars. Or at least some kind of, you know, mention in uh, some line somewhere. I mean, vampires are just everywhere in movies these days. I mean, to be, okay, let's be fair. I think since people started making movies that had stories to them... They were making movies that had vampires in them. I'm, vampires have, you know, been around longer than... Every like, culture has a vampire myth. Of some sorts. I mean, we, we can go back to the ancient Greeks, and they're looking at, you know, the, the blood-sucking demons, the walking dead, and they're putting it together, and they're saying, it, it's, you know, these, these creatures of the night, as they are. Um, and there was a series of novels even before Bram Stoker's Dracula. There was a series of novels about vampires. It was a, it's a very popular pop culture creature. It's, so it, it also lends itself, I would argue to cinema incredibly well because they are at least especially the dracula style vampire they're seductive they're creatures of the night so that lends you towards a lot of interesting lighting and shadow nosferatu is one of the earliest films period it's an early silent film and it's still completely watchable because it's the the cinematography is great the the mood is fantastic i mean vampires are i mean Back before movies, even when they were still just on the page, they were both scary and sexy at the same time. They were easy to tell stories about. Humanity seems to be obsessed with vampires, and it it seems like a pretty easy sell. 1987 vampire movies, 
There were still monsters. There's there's a there's quite a few around. Um, this is a few years before Francis Ford Coppola's attempt to <laughs> do Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, Near Dark is in this t- period of time. I think Near Dark's in the same year. I think it is 87. Uh, so if you've never heard of Near Dark... Um, it's actually one of the movies that I'm planning to recommend at some point during this podcast. Oh, God. <laughs> obviously, I say, oh, God, only because if you look at 87 vampire films, obviously people are going to say The Lost Boys. No one's going to say Near Dark unless... They're big Catherine Bigelow Unless Bigelow's. they're big Catherine Bigelow fans, right? Um, so... Catherine Bigelow of, uh, I guess at this point, Hurt Locker fame, or if you're us, of uh, Point Break fame. Point Break! Yeah, 1987. Made a, made a vampire film right around the same time. I, did it get overshadowed, or just no one gave a crap? I think it was just kind of a, it was a smaller film. I, it, you would think it, it had a lot of, of James Cameron's stable of actors. I mean, this was a smaller film. It actually lost money near dark. I believe that. It cost five million to make. It only made three point eight million somewhere in that name. And probably didn't no one even gave it. I would crap be surprised until if Catherine Bigelow made her name. I would be surprised if it even got a really big release. You know, obviously Lost Boys, it did well for itself. Uh the critics, they looked at it and they said, It's okay. Yeah. I mean no one came out and said, This is amazing. No Lost one came Boys. out and panned it, but I mean, Lost Boys has survived to the point where there have been two sequels to it, both made within the past ten years. <laughs> uh, one of them I knew about. I, I I was aware of the tribe. One of them I was I was aware of the tribe. I was not aware of the second sequel, The Thirst, until I was looking to buy myself a copy of The Lost Boys, which I was surprised I didn't actually own The Lost Boys. Uh, but I, did, I found a copy for eight bucks. I decided to pick it up. Uh, but while I was searching for it, I discovered that. You could buy these multi-packs that came with all three movies. All and, three. And at first I was confused because I didn't know there were three movies. So were there any character crossovers in? Uh... I know Corey Feldman is in all of them. Oh. And that might be it. See, that's no good. Because for me, the only character that I want to know more about... Grandpa. Grandpa. And you know, he's kind of... Just this weird, uh, weird little character, kind of like... Okay, he's a grandpa. taxidermist. Right. There's really almost no point. I think he may grow a pot in his backyard. That's not entirely clear. There's a there's a deleted scene that suggests that it is, but the, uh, there's a scene that's in the movie that may just be uh, Jason Patrick messing with his younger brother, where he, he points at the plant and makes a toking gesture and then laughs. It may just be him messing with him. There's a deleted scene where the little brother... Corey Haim tries to smoke it. But then, right at the end of the movie... He has... He has probably the most memorable line. He is the ultimate line of the movie, and ultimate in every way, as in it's the best line of the movie. It is also the last line of the movie. At the end of the movie, they are... They are destroying... They have their victories over the vampires. They have their victories over the vampires. Then it turns out there's one more vampire, and it's Ed Herman's character, Max. And he just seems untamable they seem no like one, all hope is lost none of the frog brothers have no chance uh jason patrick and Corey haim have no chance suddenly grandpa comes in drives into his own house mind you <laughs> drives through the front door with a with a post a fence post that he was i, I think there were several fence posts in the back of the truck at this point yeah fence post that he had been working on earlier in the film a little Chekhov's fence post right there <laughs> And he... Offs the head vampire. He offs the head vampire. Then he, like a badass, gets out of the truck, 
everyone is staring at him, walks into the fridge, pulls out his root beer <laughs> from shelf number two. No one, al- and no one else is allowed to touch the second shelf except for the old fart, as the sign says. Pulls out the root beer, takes a swig of it, looks at his family, and says, There's one thing I could never st- stomach about living in Santa Carla. All the damn vampires. Which immediately establishes that he is aware of the vampires. He has dealt with the vampires. He is okay with the vampires. He, the man is just clearly a badass who does not care about vampires and has no problem taking him out when the There's time is no called. problem. I want to know more about Grandpa. I want to see. I don't care about these sequels with Corey Feldman. The Frog Brothers, not that interesting to me. Grandpa, interesting dude. I want to see him hanging out with the Widow Johnson and uh often vampires often vampires all right so obviously the sequels meh but as for the original we will say that neither we haven't seen neither of us have seen the the sequels and probably not going to probably not going to but as as for as for the lost boys itself i liked it i enjoyed it it's i think it's a part of our generation's childhood i think most of us have seen it it's cheesy in all the right ways um, how did we get on this movie? I like. I remember after recording episode zero, if we're going to call it that at this point, it I took like we, two seconds of someone saying the Lost Boys before we jumped on. Like, yes, yes. I th- we don't have a criteria yet. I don't but know if we're gonna have a criteria do, for do you what. Call what it was that made us. Well, our silent partner who has to suffer through all the movies with us, Cynthia, she uh, immediately said, "You guys should just watch the Lost Boys." Was that what it was? That's what it was. She had watched uh, the movie with us, and we were trying to figure out what we were going to watch next. And she was just wandering through the room and said, Lost Boys. And we looked at each other, and we knew we were going to watch Lost Boys oh, next. Man. I, I, I'm very happy that we chose this as, I guess, now episode one. Episode one, Lost Boys. It's a lot of fun. It really is. It, for it's, all its cheesiness, like I said, it's cheesy in all the right ways. It's competently directed. It has a lot of fun performances. I don't have any complaints about it. And it's vampires back when vampires were starting to be cool, but weren't, you know, pushover pretty boys yet. Okay, well, they were pretty boys. They were pretty in boys. This but they weren't your sparkle in the sunlight pretty boys Only pushover. Their blood sparkles in the sunlight. Yes, you get to kill them before they bleed. Before they or sparkle. bleed glitter. So absolutely, if you are, you know, in looking for something like, hey, I, I want to relive the 80s somehow, grab The Lost Boys. Yeah, if you want to watch an 80s movie and enjoy it, and you want... I hesitate to call it a horror movie. There's not a lot of scares in it. It's it's not really comedy either. It's, it's I it's think it's just horror a, by default. It's, it's, it's a monster flick without being a horror flick. It is a comedy without having a lot of, like, gags. It's just kind of like, uh-huh. I almost wonder if they asked for an R rating. If they, it's really not rated R by you know today's standards. And I, I'd have to go back and look at other movies in 1987 and see what we're dealing with in terms of R ratings versus PG because PG 13 is around by 1987. This would have been PG 13 easy. Yeah, by today, would this movie have gotten a PG 13? Should it have gotten a PG? Was PG 13 around at this point? PG 13 first came out in 1984, and the first two movies that are PG 13 are. Red Dawn and the Flamingo Kid. I know there's a little bit of question about which one came out first. One of them was possibly get, rated first. One of them was rated first, but the other one came out first. I gotcha. 
So the PG-13 rating existed at this point. I guess the criteria was still a little iffy because this movie should have been PG-13. I can't imagine what anyone looked at this movie and said R. Was there a thing in the 80s where they're like, this movie will make more money if we get it rated R? I don't know. Maybe the the ubiquity of the PG-13 being the big money-making film hadn't come about in 1987. Because let's face it, nowadays, if you want to make money on a movie... You go with the PG-13. Absolutely. But still, absolutely a fun time. Definitely a recommend for anyone looking to just Full have recommendation. Silent partner agrees. <laughs> she, no, she's not around anywhere. But anyway, that's the Lost Boys for you. But while we're talking about vampire movies, I think we'd like to talk about some other vampire movies that maybe you'd enjoy. We would? I would like to. All right. What is your recommendation for a vampire movie? I have that two. You throw out there? Okay. One that clearly we've talked about. Uh, and that is Near Dark, which is Catherine Bigelow's vampire film from 1987, starring Bill Paxton, Lance Henriksen, and a bunch of other people who I don't remember. But it's it's a Western vampire film. It's a lot darker than The Lost Boys. Now, as when I you remember. say Western, do you mean it was set in the Old West or oh, it's just no. set in the Midwest? It's just it's just uh, it's got kind of a Western vibe to it. There's showdowns and Bill Paxton. That has nothing to do with being a Western. I just would like to point out that Bill Paxton, Bill Paxton's pretty awesome in the film. And it's back when Catherine Bigelow was big in making genre films. She made this. She made Point Break. But then the polar opposite of Near Dark that I would like to recommend is a film called Mr. Vampire, which is about Chinese hopping vampires. And if you've never seen any of these movies... Oh, you are in for a treat. How about you, Steve? Anything that you're interested in in recommending? Here, here's the thing with me and vampire movies. I've never been, like, all that big into them. I, I, I watched Underworld once, and I was like, eh. You know, and then, you know, I, I, I went and I watched Blade, and I was like, okay, that's a, that's a superhero movie. Blade 2 is a lot you better. You know what I'm going to recommend if you're looking for some good vampire fiction? Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show. Oh, you don't like the movie? I think the movie was cornier than I will pretty much anything else you could watch. One at this recommendation point. for the movie, and that's watch it for Paul Rubens. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Paul fair. Rubens is hilarious in that movie. If you want to watch something, you know, kind of monsterish and, you know, have some fun with it, I, I would recommend the Va- uh, Buffy the Vampire TV show, even though I do, in some way, blame it for what I feel is the big problem of today's generation, which is vampires just aren't scary anymore. True. Vampires are a bit overused. That's why I, most of my recommendations, all of my recommendations so far, are a bit older. Mr. Vampire, I want to say, is, is mid-80s. And it, the hopping vampires that are blind, mind you, and they <laughs> can only detect you if you breathe. So the trick is you hold your breath and you can get away from them. Um, you know what the other issue with vampires uh, is? It's hard to nail down what is a vampire movie these days because there's a lot of, you know, the whole blood-sucking, you know, creature type that, you know, people say, oh, these are vampires, but doesn't fit into any other of the vampire mythos that is out there. I'm not even going to say established because, let's face it, there's vampires so many Vampires are all over the place to begin with. That there's no really establishment of what, you know, constitutes a movie vampire or just vampire in general. So absolutely, if you are looking for a vampire movie back before they turned into complete and total pussies, check out The Lost Boys. It's just a ton of fun. 
Or if you're looking for something else, there's plenty of awesome vampire movies out there like Near Dark. If you're looking for something a little more fun, Mr. Vampire. Don't forget the classics like the Bela Lugosi Dracula from the 30s. And if you get a chance, check it out with a score by Philip Glass because it's pretty awesome. I'm sure that The Lost Boys is one of many vampire flicks for us to come. Uh, but until then, I'm Steve Shannon. I'm Jonathan LeDuc. We don't really have a way to end this podcast. <laughs> I was going to hope you were just going to cut it there for me. I mean, we still can. 